All right, turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter one. We are, we are continuing in this series. Uh, we're wrapping up chapter one this morning. And this series, if you're new with us, entitled Satisfied. Living in the fullness of Jesus Christ, walking verse by verse through the book of Colossians. And that's what we're doing. It'll take us right up to Easter. And so we're taking significant time to really look at this book of the Bible that really more than any other book of the Bible, we've said this every week, deals with the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Because all of us struggle to look for satisfaction. And in that struggle, we often look to the things that can't give us what we want, that can't bring us satisfaction. And so this entire book reminds us that our true satisfaction for our lives, for our hearts, or if you want to say soul, is really found in Jesus Christ. But what does that really look like? What does that really mean? Like, like, how can I experience that? And so that's what we are accomplishing in this series through the word of God is allowing the God's word to show us that Jesus is first place. He is supreme. He is sufficient to bring us the satisfaction that our hearts desire, that your hearts desire, that my heart desires. And so as we as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, we're going to be in verses 24 through 29 if you're in your Bibles, and, and we'll deal with that passage here in a moment. You know, I probably should have done this when we started our series, but we were talking as pastors, and, and one of them said, do we have a definition for what it means to be satisfied in Christ? And I was like, you know, like, that's, that would be a good idea. And, and so let me give you that. Let me give you a definition that, as I was just thinking about this book and what we're going after, and I just mentioned really the aim of this series, here's what it means to be satisfied in Christ. Here's the definition that we're going to continue to use through the rest of this series. It is this, believing and experiencing that Jesus is better. That's just a simple definition of what does it mean to be satisfied in Jesus Christ. Because it does take knowledge, doesn't it? We saw that in chapter one. Paul encourages them that they need to grow in knowledge, that they need to understand more what God's word says about Jesus Christ. And so there's an aspect of being satisfied in Jesus Christ that we need to believe who God, who Jesus describes himself to be. And so there's a believing aspect but then there's also, remember in chapter one where it talks about spiritual wisdom and understanding that I'm applying what I believe, I'm applying what I know to my life, and that's the experience piece. So being satisfied in Christ is me believing that Jesus is better, but also applying that to my life so that I can experience that Jesus is better. Let me just share with you a couple of passages of scripture that, that drive home this definition Apart from Colossians and what we've already looked at, John 6, 35, Jesus says this of himself. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and who believes in me shall never thirst. That's Jesus speaking of himself saying that I am your source of satisfaction. You believing and experiencing that, that I am better. Psalm 107, an Old Testament passage of scripture, Psalm 107 verse 9 says this, for he Jesus, the Lord, satisfies the longing soul. So what's the condition of your life right now? You looking for satisfaction? Am I looking for satisfaction? Then we're here today to remind ourselves or maybe for you to be informed for the first time that Jesus is the source of your true satisfaction. Jesus is better. 
And so before we read verses 24 through 29, let's just refresh our minds and what we've already looked at already because Paul has introduced the supremacy, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ in this chapter, but he's done it, let's just start in verse 15. He's done it in creation, right? Jesus supreme in everything that he created. We see that in verses 15 through 17. That Jesus is supreme in the church. We see that in verse 18. If you remember, Jesus Christ is a senior pastor of Salem Chapel and of every church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and Paul reminds us of that. He's the leader of the church, capital C, the church, the universal church, every person that places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ is a part of the church, but he's also the leader of every church, lowercase c, every local church all over this globe. He's the leader, he's supreme. He's also supreme in reconciliation in terms of the gospel. Because if you don't have Jesus, you don't have the gospel. And Paul makes that clear in verses 19 through 23. But what we're going to look at as we close out this chapter, chapter 1, which has been such a foundational, significant chapter to really what we're looking at in this entire book, what Paul's going to do in these verses is he's going to show us how the reality of what is found in verses 15 through 23, how that gives him perspective how it gives him clarity on how he is to live out the mission that God has given him to accomplish. Did you realize that? That just like Paul has a mission, you have a mission? Do you understand that? Do you realize that? That you have a mission, you have a purpose. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a God-given mission. Here's the title of the message this morning. It's this, Mission Clarity. See, some of us need some clarity on what our mission is this morning. Some of us need to be reminded of what our mission is this morning. Some of us need to hear for the first time, maybe we've just put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so, so you need to really have God's word inform you of what your mission is. And so let's look at verses 24 through 29 as Paul really shares the perspective and the clarity that he has by understanding that Christ is supreme over all of his creation, but also in Paul's life. It says in verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Here's the idea I want us to get this morning. It's this, that living out your mission results in a satisfied heart. That when you are living out the purpose that God has given you, the result will be a satisfied heart. And I wonder this morning, if we are not experiencing the satisfaction that the Lord desires us to experience 
I wonder if we need to ask ourselves, is it because I am living out my life for something other than the mission that God has given me? And so what I want us to do this morning is just pause for a moment and just take time for you to pray as I pray out loud and say, Lord, would you, one of these prayers, would you show me what my mission is? That's one. Or maybe you fall into this category, Lord, would you remind me of what my mission is? So one of those two prayers, Lord, would you show me what my mission is from your word today? Or Lord, would you remind me of what my mission is from your word today? Let's pray. God, I I pray that for every one of us in this room this morning. For those that will be listening to this online, for those that will be watching this online, for those of us in this room, Lord, for the life groups that will discuss this passage of scripture this week, Lord, that you would show us what our mission is from your word today. Lord, that you would remind us, if we know what that mission is, Lord, you would remind us and and even convict us of where we are not living out that mission that we know, but Lord, I'm not living it out. God, would your word do that for us? And would we be ready to apply what you show us today to our lives so that we can live out the mission that you've given us, which will result in a satisfied heart, a satisfied life. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is your mission, right? If we're going to say living out your mission results in a satisfied heart, then we better define what your mission is. Right, If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you place your trust in Jesus' perfect life, perfect death, and resurrection for your sins, then, then you have a God-given mission. Well, what is it? Right, That's a good question. Well, can we allow God's word to give us the answer? Not me, but God's word. Well, look at what it says here in, in verse 25. Here is your mission. And when I say your, I mean me as well. Here's our mission to make the word of God fully known. It's literally what Paul says. This is his mission. When he says in verse 29, for this I toil, this is what we see in verse 25, to make the word of God fully known. That's your mission. That's my mission. There is no greater higher or higher calling for a Christian than what we see Paul say here is your mission. Your highest calling for your life, let's get real specific and let's move away from the, from the Christian and let's get to you and to me. Our greatest calling is to make the word of God fully known. Every one of us. Now, here's what I don't need to convince you of. Some of you are like, yep, that's not a surprise, Johnny. That's what you're supposed to do. It's what, it's what you get paid to do. But here's what I want to encourage you with. It's not just me up here on the stage. Yes, that is my mission, but that's yours as well. To make the word of God fully known. So what I want to do this morning is to look at three ways that we live out our mission according to this passage of Scripture. Because Paul is going to be very specific on how he lives out this mission, how he accomplishes this mission. So so what I want to do is, how do we do that? Answer that question. We could literally say as well that if we are not doing these things, then we are also not living out our mission. We could look at it from the negative, but I want to look at it from the positive. How can we live out this mission? And as we go through these things, then maybe that will also show us this is a way that I'm 
not living out my mission, and it's causing me to not experience a satisfied heart. So let's look, once again, just at verse 24. I know we read this entire passage before, but I want to show you where these three practical ways we live out our mission, how it, where it comes from, because this, this, this is not my thoughts. These are coming straight from God's word. Paul says this, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Can we just think about what Paul just said? Paul explicitly, explicitly said he rejoiced in his sufferings. Now, if you're like me and you're being truly transparent with yourself, you're like, this doesn't make sense. When's the last time you said, yep, I'm rejoicing in my sufferings? I'm rejoicing in them. Praise God, I'm in suffering right now. Doesn't make sense, does it? Who enjoys it? You don't need to raise your hand because if you're being honest, no one would raise their hand. But I want us to understand what Paul literally means when he says, I rejoice in my sufferings. He doesn't say, now I'm happy in my sufferings. I'm just thrilled. I'm happy. Why? Because happiness is based on circumstance. We've mentioned that already in this series. But he says rejoice. It comes from the word joy. See, joy is a supernatural thing, but joy is also based on a knowledge. It's based on a knowledge. See, joy is different than happiness. Happiness is rooted in, in circumstance, right? This thing, this circumstance happened, and I'm happy about it. Nothing wrong with the word happy, but joy is, is more substantive. It's, it's rooted in a knowledge. What, what type of knowledge? It's rooted in a knowledge that God is in control. It's rooted in a knowledge that God has a purpose for the suffering that I am encountering. See, that's much more substantive than the word happiness. Joy is rooted in a knowledge. It's rooted in a faith. It's rooted in a confidence in who God is, in his character. Not my strength, but in who he is, that he is in control, that he's gonna work these things according to his purpose. So the first way that I live out my mission as we look at what Paul says in verse 24 is this. We endure times of suffering with joy. With joy. We endure it. There's endurance in that. We persevere in times of suffering. And we do it with joy, with a knowledge, with a security, with a confidence in God's character. No, no, no. God is using this time. He's not wasting it. He's using this for a purpose. Let me just give you an example of what I just gave as a definition of joy that it's based on a knowledge because Jesus is spoken of in this way in Hebrews 12 too. It says that we are to look to Jesus. He is our example. We're to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. So what does that, what is that verse saying? We're to look to Jesus on how we encounter times of suffering. Because Jesus wasn't happy that he had to go through what he went through. He wouldn't have prayed in the garden. God, if there's any other way for me to pay for the sins of mankind, let it be. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And when he knew that this is what was necessary, he got up and he went to the cross, but he did it with joy. 
He did it with a knowledge that God, even though this time of suffering is going to be hard and even though it's going to be agonizing and even though it's going to require pain both emotionally, physically, spiritually, I'm going to do it with joy because I have a knowledge that by going through this, greater things will be accomplished for other people than even myself. That's the idea of joy. Joy is based on a knowledge that God is in control and that God will use the suffering that you are going through to accomplish a purpose greater than even you. That's Jesus. That's what Jesus does. That's how Jesus gets through that. That's how he despises the shame, knowing that he's going to sit down at the right hand of the Father. So suffering serves a purpose in your life. Here's the twofold purpose. Number one, it's growing you. It's growing you. You can't live out your mission without suffering. Like, I'm, I'm sorry to, to take the peaches and cream following Jesus type of idea out of your head. But you can't live out your mission without suffering. Can I just give a personal illustration? Like, that's something I had to learn. Like, I grew up as a pastor's kid. I saw my parents do a lot of suffering. And so I remember when I felt like the Lord wanted me to, to, to go into vocational ministry. What that means is, is like, literally, this is what I'm going to do, not only with my, with my free time, but also, like, with my occupation. And when I felt like the Lord was directing me in that way, like, I obeyed. But, but here was my ministry philosophy for so long. I'm gonna do what God wants me to do. I'm gonna love the people that God has put in my care. I'm gonna preach God's word faithfully, but I am gonna do my dead level best to avoid every landmine possible that I see coming because I don't wanna experience some of the pain that I've seen other people experience. And so I feel like I did a pretty good job about that. Now, I didn't avoid every aspect of it, but when I felt like, man, I was in a situation where there was no way out, you know what I would do? I would look for another opportunity to move on to something else. Just being transparent with you. Because in my mind, I had this idea that I could experience the miracles of God. I could experience the things that you can't explain in human terms and experience those things without enduring suffering. And what I came to realize and what God in his grace taught me is that can't happen. You can't experience the things that God wants to do through you. I mean the things that you can't explain. I mean the things that you can't take credit for. I mean the, the, the Ebenezer moments like let's build an altar here because God worked in a miraculous way. You can't experience those things without also trusting the Lord to use suffering in your life. Can't happen. I had to come to that realization. And I remember one of the ways that I came to that realization is a good friend of mine when I was going through suffering, he asked me this when I was in the midst of it. He's like, can you realize, can you identify right now that what you're going through is an act of God's mercy? When he asked me that, I was like, bro, are you serious? This is anything but God's mercy. Like this is, this is wrong. But as I, by God's grace, submitted to it, didn't run, but submitted to it and walked through it, 
sought counsel on how I'm supposed to walk through it. Like, I understood what that person was asking me. Because on the other side of it, I can look at some of the things that, by God's grace, I didn't run from, but I said, no, 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 I need to endure this. And I can say, man, I see it now as an act of God's mercy. I'm not excusing wrong that was done. No, 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 not that. But how God used it in my life. God, I see it as mercy. See, suffering is what God uses to grow in you. And you can't experience the joy and the miracles that God wants you to experience in you living out your mission and run from suffering. You can't do it. It doesn't mean that you look for it. It doesn't mean like, man, what's the next thing I could go through? It's not that. But when it comes into your life, and I'm, and I'm speaking of outside things come into your life. I'm not speaking of consequences because of my sin. Can God use that? Absolutely. But I'm speaking of things that come into your life outside of your control. That when you endure those things, and you do it with joy, you do it saying, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to endure this because I understand that you're in control and that you are accomplishing something greater than me. And you understand, Lord, in the midst of that, you're doing something in me. You're doing something to grow me, to grow my strength, to grow my faith in you, to grow my empathy for others who suffer. That God, when you, Lord, I can't live out my mission without enduring suffering in my life. 2 Corinthians 12, 10, Paul says this, for the sake of Christ then. I'm content with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul starts off that verse saying it's for Christ's sake. It's for Christ's sake. I don't endure this because I'm just a masochist. I endure this because it's for the sake of Christ. It's so that I can live out my mission in a greater way. See, it's growing you, suffering, but it also is growing others. Look at verse 24 again. It says, Paul says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings, but you ought to underline this, for your sake. Suffering isn't just something that God grows in me so that I have, can have greater capacity for who God is and that my faith is stronger and and that I have greater empathy for others, but I, I, I do it because I understand that God is going to use it not just in me, but also in growing others as well. Because Paul says, I'm, in, I'm rejoicing in these sufferings for your sake. Paul understood that his sufferings moved the mission of God. That his suffering advanced the gospel. And listen to me, some of you are in this room right now and you're going through cancer and you've lost a loved one. And you're going through difficult things and I want you to be encouraged this morning. I want you to, to have a perspective this morning. I want you to en endure it with joy this morning because I want you to understand that God is not wasting your suffering. He's not. There are people in this room around you this morning that are looking at the way that you are walking and enduring through that and their faith is being strengthened. 
There's people that I'm making eye contact with now that your faith has encouraged me. As I'm standing there and I'm doing a funeral for you and I'm seeing the way that you are enduring this and, and you losing someone or, or going and visiting you in the hospital and seeing the strength that you have or praying over you with our elders in the front of this room and seeing the way that you're encountering that, you need to understand that God is growing others through your suffering. You are living out your mission when you are enduring suffering with joy. It's not being wasted. And then Paul says this. Well, this could be confusing when you're reading it. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. Like when you first read that, you're like, what? Does this mean that Paul is saying that what Christ did for our salvation was lacking? Like, is he deviating from everything that he said before? That's not the idea. Like, like Scripture doesn't contradict Scripture. Remember, this is God-breathed. These are words that come from the Holy Spirit. He would be contradicting what he said in verses 12 and 14 and 19 through 22. Here's what Paul was saying with this phrase, which can be confusing. What he was saying was is that his suffering, he understood his suffering was being used to continue the advance of the church. That just like Christ suffered, and paid the penalty for our sins so that every person would have the opportunity to receive that for salvation from their sin, to repent of that and accept that so they can be a part of Christ's church and be a follower of Jesus Christ, be a child of God. Paul was saying, I also understand that as I suffer, I have a role. God has given me a role to play in to continue to advance the gospel that Jesus started. That's what Paul is saying. He knew his sufferings weren't pleasant. He doesn't describe them as that. Just read 2 Corinthians 11. He lists all the things that he went through. He doesn't say, man, these things just like, I'm just over the moon for these things. He says, they're often miserable. But here's what happens when, when I encounter suffering. It draws me closer to who Jesus is. And those of you who have endured it know that. You know that. That as hard as those times are, as much as you wish you weren't going through them, and as much as you may be even continuing to feel some of the residual effects of that suffering, that in the midst of that pain and those times that were miserable, you can also say with joy, man, those were the times, or these are the times that I'm closest with my Jesus. And it's growing me. And as I understand how it's growing me, I also understand, just like Paul says, that it's for other people's sake as well. Like that ought to be humbling to you. That God would use what you're going through as sinful and fallible as you know you are, and as sinful and fallible as I know I am, that God would use those things and use you to actually be a testament to who Jesus is. See, I can't live out my mission without enduring suffering with joy. Here's the second thing, and it's found in verses 25 through 28. You need to view yourself as a full-time missionary 
Like, as I say that, just think about that. Do you view yourself as a full-time missionary? Just ask yourself that, because Paul says this, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. For you, there's that mission that we said earlier to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Paul understood that his calling, his mission, shaped how he did everything. Everything. Paul was a tent maker. That was his, that's what he did. He made tents. But Paul understood, if you were to ask Paul, hey, Paul, what do you do? He would say, man, I'm a minister of Jesus. I'm a minister of the gospel. He wouldn't have led with, hey, I'm a tent maker. No, no, no. He viewed his calling and his mission to advance the gospel, to make the word of God fully known. He viewed tent making as just a way for him to have his physical needs met. And I wonder this morning, If someone was to come up to you and say, hey, so-and-so, what do you do? I wonder if your mind, you would say, well, I'm a full-time missionary. And my mission field is the bank that I work at. I'm a full-time missionary, and the mission field that I have is the court that I coach, or the field that I coach, or the home that I oversee as I take care of our kids or it's a law firm that I work at or it's the hospital that I serve at. I'm a full-time missionary. That's just my mission field. How many of us think that way? Because Paul did. See, I can't live out my mission unless I'm viewing myself as a full-time missionary It doesn't say anywhere in this passage. Can I just tell you this? It doesn't say anywhere in this passage in the original language, which happens to be the Greek in the New Testament. It doesn't say anywhere in verse 25, just letting you know this, that it says to make, that that sometimes I'm to make the word of God fully known. It says literally, that's your mission. That's my mission. And it's interesting that Paul describes this mission as stewardship. Do you see that word there? That word literally means a plan which involves a set of arrangements. Like there's actually time taken. There's a plan in place. That's the idea of stewardship. So in other words, when I look at, at this verse and it says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, what that's saying is, is this role that I've been given to make the word of God fully known, this mission, it's a gift given to me by God that he had a strategic plan in place for me to live out my mission. You know what that tells me? It's not by chance that I have the job that I have. It's not by chance that I'm at Salem Chapel and have to be, happen to be the pastor here. It's not by chance. It's not by chance that you work at the job that you work at. It's not by chance. No, 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 it's a stewardship from God. It's not by chance that I'm in the home where I live in, in my development on the street where the Pereiras live. It's not by chance. We had 48 hours to pick the house that we were going to live in. Literally came, flew in on a weekend, and knew that, talk about pressure, right? 
Lori has learned to be decisive in living with me, just to let you know on a side note. (laughs) But it's not by chance. It's not by chance that you live where you live. It's not by chance that your kids go to school where they go to school. It's not by chance that you're on the sports team that you may be on. It's not by chance that, that you, you are in the environment that you're in. It's not by chance that, that you work out at the gym that you work out at or, or wherever you may be, wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever your hobbies are. It's not by chance. And I say that not because that's something that I want to say to motivate you. I say that because of this word stewardship. It literally means a plan with a set of arrangements. And Paul understood that every place that God put him wasn't by chance. And when I understand that where I live, where I work, where I play, where my hobbies are, whatever I do, is not by chance. It helps me to understand and to realize and to embrace the reality. Man, I'm a full-time missionary. What my title is is just a way that God has given me to provide for my needs. I'm a full-time minister. Look at your neighbor and say, I have a stewardship from God. Do that right now. I have a stewardship from God. Man, if we can remember that this morning, we are already ahead of the game. That the reason why I want to live out my mission is because I have a stewardship from God. You have a stewardship from God. I don't care if you take out the trash or you are literally overseeing multi-millions of dollars. It's your mission field. And don't degrade and don't put down the stewardship that God has given you, whether that's for a time or whether that's for your life. God's put me places for seasons. God puts you in places for seasons, but he does it with a purpose because he wants you to live out your mission wherever you are at. And Paul describes this steward, these stewardship opportunities as a mystery. Some of you are like, man, why does, why, what in the world does that term mystery mean? Here's, here's the significance of that word mystery, because God's saving purpose was going to be extended to the Gentiles. Like to the Jews, it was like, no, 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 the God that we serve is the God of the Jews, and so for a long time in the, in the Old Testament, like like the Jewish people were spoken of as God's people. And so now all of a sudden we get to the New Testament, Jesus comes and he lives and he dies and he's risen again and and now you have Paul here and not only is is he sharing the gospel and what Jesus has accomplished to the Jews, but now he's sharing it with the Gentiles and for, for the longest time throughout human history, the Gentiles and the Jews were against each other. One viewed the other as a lesser. And all of a sudden now what Paul is saying is, no, 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 the gospel is inclusive. It's for every man, woman, and child, regardless of your race or your nationality. Now get this, the gospel is inclusive to who it is available to. It is exclusive and who it is talking about. Everybody understand that? It's exclusive that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's inclusive that it is available to every man, woman, and child. And listen to me, we miss the stewardship that has been given to us by God when we limit who our influence is to be carried out towards. 
We lose it. And unfortunately, throughout history, especially in our American history, I have no idea how pastors could stand up in the pulpit and teach God's word, the whole counsel of God, and not understand, no, 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 the gospel is not meant for some and, and meant for others, or I'm to look down on some depending on where they're from or the color of their skin or their nationalities or whatever it may be. No, 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 that goes against the very nature of the gospel and the mission that God has given me. Like Paul understands that over and over again. You see Paul dealing with, wait a minute, Peter, don't act that way around some and then act that way with others. No, 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 why? Because it's going against the fabric of the gospel message. And there's a reason why it says every man, woman, and child on that sign when you pull out of this parking lot. It's to remind ourselves, no, 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 the gospel's not meant for some and meant for others that I'm supposed to show my witness to some and not to others. No, 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 it's for every man, woman, and child regardless of where they come from, what the color of their skin is, how much money they make, how little money they make, where they live, whatever it may be. No, 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 the gospel message is meant to be inclusive and Paul, that's why Paul describes it as a mystery. That's why when you look through the New Testament so much, Paul's dealing with this. He's dealing with Colossians. He's dealing with Jews that are saying, no, 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 you need to be circumcised and trust in Jesus because the Jews still wanted the Gentiles to act like them. Paul's saying, no, 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 Jesus is supreme. Jesus is the link. Well, how do I share my mission correctly? Look at what Paul says. He says, him we proclaim. You know how you share your mission correctly, you know how you view yourself as a full-time missionary and do that the way that God wants you to do? You share Jesus. I'm amazed at how many people don't know how to articulate the gospel. Can I say this out of love? Even in this church. And that's on the leadership. Can I just give you this? Here's a simple way to remember, how do I share my faith? Well, it starts with God. See, when I'm sharing my story of how I came to Jesus, there has to be somewhere in there, if I'm gonna be true to the gospel message, that, man, I came to a realization that God's perfect. Right? Here's the second thing that needs to be in my story. Not just that God is perfect, there needs to be something in there about God, but also in my story as I share it, if God's perfect, then let me talk about me, of when I came to realize I was a sinner. See, that's the second piece that needs to be in my story. Man, I realized that God was perfect, and in understanding God was perfect, man, I, I came in my life to realize there was nothing good that I could do to ever warrant a relationship with God. Man, I, I came to a place where I was without hope. So there's God that needs to be in your story. There's you who needs to be in your story because it's your story. But see, when I share that God's perfect and that share about myself, I came to a place that I was a sinner, here's the awesome thing as well, then I get to get to the good news about who Jesus is. See, God, he's perfect. Me, I'm a sinner. Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose again for my sin. And here's the fourth thing that needs to be a part of your story. What was my response to that? And understand that God was perfect, that I was a sinner, that Jesus died and rose again in my place, what was my response? Man, that 
That as I'm sharing my story with someone, man, I came to a place where I confessed my sin and I repented of it. That word repent literally means to turn from my sin. Because when I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I place my trust in Jesus Christ, there is a desire for me to be broken over my sin to where I want to, no, 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 I no longer want to live that way. That's not a works for salvation. That's an evidence that I've put my faith and trust in Jesus. That's, that's what it looks like to share Jesus. That's how I... Live out my mission. You speak the truth in love. He says admonish. That literally means I'm going to love someone enough to not let them wander in what they are wandering in. I'm going to love them enough to say, man, I love you enough to say this isn't the way that you should go. That's another part of you living as a full-time missionary that, that man, I'm going to share Jesus, but I'm going to love someone enough to admonish them, to, to love them enough to tell them, man, you need to turn the, the opposite way of where you're going. And then he says, Teaching, it literally means investing your life in other people. Here's a practical way. Those streets that you've lived on for so long, I wonder if you just said to yourself, man, one time a month we're going to invite someone over. We did a spiritual survey back to the end of October. We shared with our members in our membership forum the results of that. And here's what we found. Over 50% of the people that call this place their home don't invite anyone into their home. I don't say that to, to shame anyone. That wasn't the purpose of the survey. The purpose of the survey that we did, the, per, the reason why we're looking at this passage of Scripture this morning is to remind ourselves, wait a minute, there's intentionality in my life that needs to be there if I'm going to live out my mission. If I view myself as a full-time missionary, then it's not just about me going home, closing the garage door, popping on Netflix until I fall asleep. Here's the last thing and we'll be done. Look at verse 29. Paul says this, for this I toil. That word toil literally means it was used for work. That word was used for work which left one so weary. It was as if the person had taken a beating. Like that's not very motivating to live out your mission, right? But it literally, it, it denotes labor to exhaustion. That's the word Toil. So he says, for this I toil. What's this? To make the word of God fully known, living out his mission. He says, for this I toil, man. I give all of my energy to this, struggling. This is where we get the English word agony. And it actually was used for, for an athlete that would be agonizing in, in an event or in a fight. It's the idea. With all his energy. Here's what you need to circle. His energy. His energy that he powerfully works within me. Here's the third way we live out our mission. We persevere with God's strength, not our own. Do you sense Paul's drive here? Like, I got a lot of drive. You probably have a lot of drive. But I would be lying up here this morning if I had said oftentimes I find myself being driven to things that are not truly living out the mission that God has given me. And I often can even find myself thinking that I can live out the mission of God and I can do God's work in my own strength. How silly is that, right? 
But how often do we do that? Oh, man, I, I got a busy day. I'm going to get out and I'm going to not spend time in God's word. I'm not going to take time in prayer asking the Lord to give me the strength to do what I desire. And I wonder sometimes we feel exhausted because God in his grace is bringing us to a place where we realize we can't live out his mission in our own strength. So as we close this morning, I want you to ask yourself this. How are you living out his mission? How are you enduring the suffering that God has brought in your life? With joy? Are you viewing yourself as a full-time missionary, defining yourself by what you do to get a paycheck? And are we living out our mission in such a way that we're persevering through it? Man, we're, we're toiling. We're giving all of our energy to it. But it's not on our own, but it's through his strength that he works in me. I love what Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.12. Because he doesn't view this mission as a burden, man. He views it as a blessing. Right? Like, I want to end on that. That the mission that God has given us all is such a privilege. It's a privilege. God doesn't have to use me. He doesn't have to use you. It's a privilege. And Paul says, I thank him, Jesus, who's given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he's judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. God has appointed every one of you who are followers of Jesus Christ to do his work in the places where he's placed you. And man, we need to set our hearts on him. We need to look to Jesus as our example.